0: Well this morning we are taking a step away from our series in First Peter. And this morning I want to talk about a word that may be familiar to you, may be a little unfamiliar to you, the word called Advent. As we look that in the coming coming days we will celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When my son David was about three, we purchased a book, to re- a storybook with wonderful illustrations in it, and it was called Jesus Lives. And I began reading that book to David each night, and every night before he went to bed, almost for a year, Dad, read Jesus Lives. And so I did. I read Jesus Lives. I read it again and again. And by probably the sixth month, David was just repeating every word along with me as I was reading. He had memorized the book. And after a year, it's like, okay, can we move on to another book? And David's like, no, 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 Jesus Lives. Jesus Lives. Um, And it wasn't shortly thereafter David asked me, he said, because there's this little prayer at the end of Jesus Lives about asking Jesus into your heart. And months into this, David said, can I ask Jesus into my heart? I said, let's just wait, bud. You're three years old, you know, let's just wait, and I keep reading and I keep reading and i'm thinking it's just it's a storybook i'm 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 laying groundwork for the gospel for when he's he's a teenager and and he really understands you know who christ is and uh probably about three or four months later, I open up Jesus lives, get ready to read it, and David looks at me and he said. I went ahead and asked Jesus into my heart already. (laughs) The story never became too familiar to him. And it had an impact on his life. And this morning, rather than a three-point message, I'd really just like for us again to look at a familiar passage in Matthew's Gospel that tells the Christmas story by looking at an Old Testament prophecy that speaks of the coming of Christ, the Messiah. This is one of the, the many prophecies from the Old Testament that look ahead to this event we call the Advent the advent of Christ, or advent simply meaning his arrival. What we celebrate as Christmas Day is the beginning, is the beginning of the most important time in human history. Many in our culture today don't see it that way. For them, Christmas is just another holiday, it's an event um, that has many facets to it, but it does not have the same meaning to them as it does to us. Advent, Christmas, is different for us. And as Christians, my desire is that we never lose sight of the monumental meaning of Advent. I'll never forget, prior to becoming a Christian, I had a Christian friend who said to me weeks before Christmas, He said, once you've put your faith in Christ, you will never see Christmas the same way again. He was right. Back then, to me, Christmas was simply about rushing around to buy presents, mall traffic, long lines at stores, and literally being exhausted by the end of the (coughs) holiday. I didn't understand what the advent or the arrival of Jesus really was all about, other than Jesus was born. And after I became a Christian, I did. I saw how right my friend was. I learned how the birth of Christ, how his incarnation, the big, the big word to describe the advent, changed everything in human history. It changed everything. Just I just saw it as another holiday before then. Because at that time, I was simply a 20-year-old college dropout. Where I was trying to make sense out of life, I was lost. I was confused. I was lonely. I was frustrated. I was without hope. I was certainly without God. Um, in fact, my my real only experience of Christmas, especially growing up in a Jewish home, we did not have a Christmas tree for many years. And then my dad decided he wanted a Christmas tree, so we called it a Hanukkah bush, and uh, and we would have. Presents under the tree. I, I, I campaigned for Hanukkah because it's eight days long and you get eight days of gifts. You're supposed to get a gift every day. And mom and dad said, "No, no, we'll do Christmas. Couple <laughs> gifts under the under the tree." That was one of my disappointments. But my greatest disappointment, my early memories of Christmas, was in elementary school. Elementary school was where you would uh, exchange gifts, and somebody would get your name, you'd get their name. And so I remember the very first year that, that this happened. I opened up my gift. I, I'm seeing other guys getting little Hot Wheels like the coolest cars and I get a lump of clay. I hate clay. <laughs> so the next year, we exchange gifts. Next grade, I get a lump of clay. Same, same kind of clay I got the year before. In this package, you know, it's brightly colored and I think somebody thought, oh, I, I'm going to be a potter or something. I don't know. But, the third year, I got a lump of clay. <laughs> I hate clay. That year, my parents decided to go down to Virginia to visit some friends over Christmas, and so we get to their house Christmas Eve, and they give each of the gifts, give my older brother, my younger brother myself, a gift, and I got the same exact lump of clay. I hate clay) <laughs> And I was, and, and, and my disappointment at, of Christmas was, it's, is this it? Is this all there is? But my disappointment went far beyond the gifts that I had received, because something was missing. And my friend, who's a Christian, telling me that Christmas would never be the same when I became a Christian, if I became a Christian, He he saw something. He, He knew. And it wasn't until I came to faith in Christ that the clarity and the beauty and the joy and the glory of Christmas became real to me. And Matthew in his gospel writes to help us understand the meaning of Christmas, the, the Advent. And, and this morning what I want to talk about is the Advent, the, the, the coming to the arrival of Christ. So read with me, if you would, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. If you did not bring a Bible, it's up there. Matthew writes, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Father, we, we gratefully, gratefully look at your word this morning. Thankful that you have given it to us. To show us who you are. To remind us of who we are and once were. And to magnify all that you have done for us. Lord, may may these words this morning be fresh and real and authoritative and life-giving. May your word transform us so that our lives might bring glory to you. For that is what we were created for. We pray all these things in Christ's name. In May 1940, after the surrender of France and Belgium, British and French troops were trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk, a small French town on the English Channel. More than 300,000 soldiers were gathered on the beach waiting to be ferried across the channel to England. However, on the open beach, they were sitting ducks waiting to be picked off by German pilots. When large destroyers came to rescue them, many were bombed and sunk by the Germans. This event has different names, Operation Dynamo and the Miracle of Dunkirk, both referring to the same amazing story, a story that at times almost seems too good to be true. But it was also a story that revealed the darkest moments in many people's lives as they waited in fear and agony, not knowing if their rescue would ever come. The arrival or advent of the fleet of ships and boats that came from England resulted in the rescue of hundreds of thousands of soldiers who had little expectation of living another day. Now one can only imagine what these soldiers felt upon seeing this massive flotilla of ships and boats appearing through the fog and rain of that day that shrouded the English Channel. That rescue is still remembered today. This past summer, it was vividly captured in the movie Dunkirk. It is a story of monumental rescue. Matthew tells us an even greater story of rescue. God saving humanity from their sin and certain death by sending his son into the world. He he recounts the story here of the advent of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. But the story of God's rescue, and here's what I, I want to highlight today. The story of God's rescue began long before the advent we read about here. Long, long before in his telling of the Advent story, Matthew looks back more than 500 years as he quotes from an Old Testament passage to help this readers, to help us understand why Jesus had to come at all. He uses a passage from Isaiah 7, verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us but Matthew doesn't just use an isolated and single verse in the Old Testament even though he quotes only one verse he has in mind the entire context the entire passages of, of in Isaiah from chapter 7 all the way through chapter 11. All the messianic prophecies that, that some we read this morning, some we will read about next week. All the prophecies that we see in, in the five chapters from 7 through 11 in Isaiah. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet who is in his, in his prophecy in the book of Isaiah. He's describing in vi- vivid detail Israel's great sin and God's holy judgment a bitter and dark time for the nation of Israel and Israel's prophecy takes place at a at a certain time when the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms you had the northern kingdom called Israel and you had the southern kingdom called Judah and this is this is when Isaiah this is when Isaiah is a prophet and king Uzziah this is when Isaiah was called king Uzziah had died Isaiah is called to be a prophet. You know that passage well in Isaiah 6. And and these two kingdoms are are separated from each other. Throughout its history, the northern kingdom of Israel was was led by wicked kings. And there there was great sin and this This kingdom really was an abomination in God's eyes. Now Judah, the southern kingdom, had a righteous king in King Uzziah. But when he died, his son Ahaz took over and he was a wicked king. And because of their idolatry, both in Judah and in Israel, in the two kingdoms and their Im- immorality, God, God's judgment is coming upon them. And it, it will be a severe judgment. At the time, the nation of Assyria was the military power in the region. It was, it was a massive military power. And so they, the, all the other nations around were just fearful of being conquered by Assyria because Assyria is moving like a, like a swarm of locusts, just conquering and, and enslaving and devastating nation after nation. And so the northern kingdom of Israel goes to the kingdom, the, the nation of Syria and says, let's make a pact that we will join together to fight against Assyria. And oh, let's ask Judah to join us. And so they do. They ask Ahaz to join them, to, to, for the southern kingdom to join them. And Ahaz refuses. And in his refusal, Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, decide, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to create a coup. We're going we're to depose Ahaz. And we're going to take over the southern kingdom. So we're all together to a fight To fight against Assyria. And what does God do? God intervenes. And he tells Ahaz, listen, ask me for a sign. In Isaiah 7, this is what the Lord speaks to Ahaz. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heavens. Ask me for a sign that I will defend you. Ask me for a sign that I will be with you. Ask me for a sign to know that I am the Lord your God. And what does Ahaz do? Ahaz refuses. He tells God, no, no, I will not ask And I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, it sounds noble. I'm not going to test the Lord. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I don't need God in this situation. And so what does Ahaz do? He goes out and he makes a pact with Assyria. So that Assyria would protect him from the northern kingdom and the nation of Syria. He makes a pact with the devil is what he does. These, these are trying times. And the Lord responds to Ahaz when Ahaz refuses. And he says, look, I'm going to give you a sign anyway, but it's not the sign of my protection. And it's not the sign of me defending you now. It's a different sign. And so it's, But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. This is Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. And he said, and then the Lord responds through Isaiah the prophet. He says, hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's the sign that God gives Ahaz. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And if you stop there, you'd miss the context of what Matthew is quoting and what God is saying here. Because in the following verse 15, he goes on to say, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For the boy... For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In other words, what is being prophesied here is, you refused me. You refused the Lord your God. And Isaiah is probably saying, "I'm going to have a son, and by the time he's three years old, your land will be devastated because Assyria comes and destroys all the nations around them." The Lord gives them a sign, and what we see, and if you read, if you remember Lamentations three, do you remember what? his mercies are new every morning, right? Wonderful. Do you know what leads up to that? Jerusalem was besieged by Assyria. They were surrounded for months, so long that there was no food, there was no water, and literally, it says in Lamentations, mothers began eating their children. And it seems that Jeremiah, who most likely wrote Lamentations, he's, he's watching the desolation and the wasteland and the destruction of Judah. And it is in the midst of that that he finally sees God and he says, your mercies are new every morning. But this is what Isaiah is prophesying. This is what Isaiah is saying. And this, 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 passage in that Matthew's quoting in 714 of Isaiah, therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. That is, that's a, that's a judgment. That, that's a prophecy of judgment that Matthew is quoting. But in the midst of that judgment, there is more to the story behind that judgment. Because behind all these verses in Matthew Matthew 1 and in Isaiah 7 in particular, there's this stunning truth beyond God's judgment and that is Emmanuel. That even in your judgment, even when you are exiled, which is what happened to both nations, they were exiled to Assyria. They they were, they, they lost their, their country. They saw Jerusalem des, d- destroyed. God says, even still, Emmanuel. I will be with you. I will be with you. Judgment is a part of God's discipline. And even in their, his judgment, God is going to be with these exiles. But, but even still, it, it, didn't, it didn't begin here. This Advent, Christmas Advent about Emmanuel, that God being with them, it didn't begin Even in Isaiah 7.14, it began even earlier. This promise to be with with you and with me, Emmanuel, this promise about a Savior, this promise that we, we read from these passages, this promise was first spoken of long before in Genesis 3. You see, the Advent began in Genesis 3. And it began immediately following the greatest tragedy in human history. A tragedy that began in the, the most unlikely of places, a garden. The Christmas story didn't begin in a manger. It began in a garden. In Genesis 2, God creates Adam and places him in a garden. And then he, he, he creates Eve. And they are living in this place that is pure and is peaceable and it's tranquil. And it's filled with the presence of God. God is with them. And they enjoy the beauty of this garden and they enjoy the unhindered fellowship they have with their creator. They are created in God's image and they happily find their identity in God's image as worshipers of God. But Satan deceives them with a promise of pleasure, of having a a better life by being like God rather than serving God And so they try to become like God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they exchange the glory of God for a lie. And at this tragic moment, Everything changes for Adam and Eve and for every generation that follows. They come under God's judgment for their sin. They're expelled from the garden. Not only do they come under God's judgment, but they are under a curse, the curse of sin. And now all humanity is stained with sin and living under that curse. But that curse is far more than words of shame that we see in, in Genesis. That curse is the promise of judgment And death for sin. And yet even as God expels Adam and Eve from the garden, from his presence, the story is not over. Because God also speaks words of hope here. I will put, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel kind of cryptic. But in this veiled prophecy is a prophecy that a Savior will come and destroy the works of the devil and bring healing to men and women in every generation. And this, this in Genesis 3 is where the advent begins. And so when, when Matthew in one eighteen refers back to Isaiah, Isaiah actually looks all the way back to Genesis. The advent became... And so when we, we celebrate the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, we, we must, we should look back. In fact, Matthew and Isaiah both begin what they are about to say with one word. Do you know what that word is? Behold. 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 That is what we are to do at Advent. We are to behold. We are to behold the reality of the human condition. We are to behold the reality of the consequences for what we have done. We are to behold what God has done and what God has promised. And we are to behold the coming and birth, the advent of Christ. Listen, from Genesis to Isaiah... And centuries ahead to Matthew, judgment, God's judgment has always been the issue. But salvation has always been his plan. Always. And what makes the Christmas story so amazing and so wonderful is that God's judgment is not the final word. Emmanuel, God with us. Even in the times where God seems so absent. The nation of Israel experienced that during the Exodus. The nation of Israel experienced that during the time of Esther. They experienced this during Isaiah's time. They experienced its sense of God not being anywhere near them living in exile, living in enslavement, living under the consequences and judgment of their own sin and feeling as distant from God as they possibly could. And God says again and again, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, I am near. God with you. What makes the Christmas story so amazing and so wonderful is that judgment is not god's final word christ is the word has become flesh and dwelt among us and still dwells among us he became a man to give his life on a cross that we might be spared from judgment and restored back to this wonderful fellowship first seen in a garden jesus not only brings salvation He brings the very presence of God himself. If you have seen me, he says, you have seen the Father. Throughout history, God has always been near his people. In a burning bush, in a pillar of fire, in a shaking and quaking mountain, a tabernacle, a temple, through prophets. But, Brothers and sisters, the incarnation, the incarnation, the advent of Christ, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us—that that becomes the greatest moment in human history. Jesus. Jesus has come to us. And the advent of Christ makes the loudest statement of all because it's the grandest statement of all because it states that God loves His people. And God is faithful to His people. It's an exclamation point about God's heart towards us that he would send his son so that we would be restored to the lost fellowship that occurred in the garden. Listen, Isaiah, a little further in 9/6, describes the future outcome of Christ's incarnation, a king who will one day rule with grace and truth. 9:6: For to us a child is born to us. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who is this? It's that child that we read about in Matthew 1. It's that child we read about in Isaiah 7. It's that child future king and savior we read about in Genesis 3. It's always been God's plan. Always been God's plan. But before any government could be placed on his shoulders, a cross had to be put there first. A cross where the sinless, righteous son of God bled and died, taking the sins upon himself of all humanity. He willingly came to earth for us. And he put on flesh, flesh that would be beaten and torn, flesh that would bleed. So we would not have to bear the judgment of our own sin. That cross and his death and resurrection that followed, that's what Advent is all about. God, in love, sent Jesus to restore his people through his sacrifice. Listen, the Advent is the greatest rescue in history. Rescuing us from everything that threatens us. What what threatens you this morning? What threatens you this morning? An uncertain future? A debilitating disease? A troubled child? Financial pressures? A troubled marriage? Oh, there are so many things that threaten us. But... Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Jesus in John 10.10 10 said this. Listen, the thief comes to only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's what the Advent's about. Listen, broken at times we may be because we live in a broken world. But broken is not the last word because Emmanuel, Amen. God with us, in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, who will always be with us, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, the last word of Jesus. Behold, behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Emmanuel. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, this coming week, this, this week ought to be a week of celebration, not just of Great parties and great food and gifts that are given, it should be remembering Emmanuel, God with us. Romeo Jenkins, one of the British soldiers who survived the Dunkirk evacuation, wrote this He said, I was standing on the beach looking across at England when I heard a voice say, Are you coming? It's your last chance. I saw a sort of fishing boat that was picking up stragglers and boarded it and lay back with my hands dangling in the water. I fell asleep, and the next thing I knew, I was at Dover. One day, our life in this world will be over. We will fall asleep, and we will die. And when we awake and open our eyes, having been rescued from our sin we will be with Jesus Christ face to face. And every promise he has given us will be fulfilled. Every tear will be wiped away. Every pain and sickness healed. Every sad thought turned to joy. And like the angels in heaven, we will be singing glory to God in the highest. And so, for this next week, behold. Behold, for unto us a child is born. Behold, he is Emmanuel. If you're a Christian, Christmas should never be the same to you now that you belong to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can behold the glory of your Son Because he is one of us. He is a man who has not only come, but he has remained. And we have that guarantee by you giving us the Holy Spirit. And so let us this week, Lord, and let us in the weeks following behold your glory in your son who has come that we might be rescued from our sin and restored to you may we behold that our lives would bring glory to your name as we look to the author and finisher of our faith in christ's name we pray